0: Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes
1: Robbie Buchanan.
2: Welcome to Inside Music Cast, a podcast devoted to
3: musicians, fans, and the people that make music happen. I'm Rick Such. And I'm Eddie Cabello. Welcome everybody from around the world, and as Rick mentioned, Inside Musicast is devoted to bringing you candid interviews, news, and information with the musicians, fans, and people that make music happen. That's right. This is the podcast that goes beyond the pop star and features the talent behind the talent. So if you're ready, let's get started. If you read our guest biography, you'll learn that his first gig was at the age of 12, playing piano six nights a week in a small Canadian town in the Yukon Territory. Google his name, and you'll discover that this man's amazing keyboard talent has connected him to some of the biggest names in the music business over the years. In fact, on one project, Barbara Streisand even came to his home studio and laid down vocal tracks with him. He was recently back in L.A. to help out on her new live show with Il Devo, and has recently finished recording and producing Ben Midler's latest Christmas project. His credits include working with Elton John, George Benson, Chicago, Michael Franks, Luis Miguel, Joe Sample, Quincy Jones, Celine Dion, Earth, Wind and Fire, and even Boss Gags. We're glad to welcome a phenomenal keyboardist, producer, and writer to Inside MusicCast, Robbie Buchanan. Robbie, welcome to Inside MusicCast. Well, thank you.
1: Uh, Happy to be here.
3: Well, good. We've been anticipating you uh, being a guest uh, of ours for a long time, and I think we got lucky this time. I want to ask you, uh, um, let me start with an obvious question. In my little intro, I read that Barbra Streisand came over, and they done some background vocals over at your home studio. Was this in Vancouver or in in L.A.? Uh,
1: It was in L.A., actually. And they weren't backgrounds. They were actually leads.
3: Which project was that?
1: I think it was called the Movie Album. Yeah? I produced, like, three songs on the record, and Mm -hmm. one of them was Moon River. right. And uh, we cut the track at my house, just her and I. Really? And uh, that actually ended up being a lot of the vocal. Really? We just did. I, I had a, like an a acoustic guitar sound set up on the synth, and right. I based the arrangement around uh, acoustic guitar. Yeah. Uh, sort of like the original Audrey uh, Hepburn version in the sure, movie. Exactly. Uh-huh. That was her idea actually, is to kind of do a version of that, but then and then add some, you know, to it so um that's how it started and mm-hmm. and yeah, we cut the track her, and uh, James came over, and we cut, she sang in the in the uh living room and
3: <laughs> i I played in
1: the studio and that
3: was it. And just worked, huh?
1: Yeah, it was great. You know,
3: you've been working with her for a long time. And, you know, speaking of, Barbara, you, you know, uh, you worked on a couple of projects, Emotion, and also, uh, oh, I yeah. Till I Loved You. And that's beautiful work you did. Oh, um, you. But her vocal style is extremely, you know, it's really smooth and it's really intimate. But when you work with her, is, uh, is she an intimate person when it comes down to the, the process of collaborating on a, on a project?
1: She's intimate in that she doesn't hold anything back and anything that she thinks you're going to hear it. Mm-hmm. So that's good. It may not be, I don't know, I, when I think of intimate, I think of it kind of more of a, of a warm atmosphere. This yeah. is more of a mm-hmm. honest and upfront atmosphere. Hey,
2: Robbie, since we're on the topic of, of Barbara Streisand, how did you first meet her? How did you first start collaborating with her?
1: Uh, I used to play in sessions. That's what I was, as a session player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met her, I believe, Maurice White was producing her. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a new kid on the block in L.A., and... I was playing on everything, and, and uh, so I was pretty much the keyboard player on that record. And uh, she cut one of my songs. Hmm. Uh, she, she cut um, Heart Don't Change My Mind. It's a song I wrote with Diane Warren. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like, I don't know, 1983 or something like that. It's way back then.
3: Let's talk about maybe some more significant recent projects here. Uh, but uh, you worked on B.B. King's 80th Birthday, which yeah. was the Duets Project. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was that was recorded in Burbank, and talk to us a little bit about that. You were you were basically worked with one hell of a band on that, Lee Sklar, Russ Gunkel, Dean
1: yeah. Parks.
3: So tell us a little bit about that session. That must have been a, a fun thing.
1: It was so much fun, I can't tell you. I That was one of those pro- projects that I did uh, that I don't normally, like I said, don't normally play on other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. But if it's the right thing, I'll do it. And because it was kind of going to be like an old home week as far as, Those guys, they used to do (laughs) tons of sessions with those guys. Sure. Uh, You know, we every week we were working together. And um, actually, uh, Russ Kunkel's son, Nathaniel Kunkel, Mm -hmm. uh, he's probably listed as the engineer, but he was really uh, co-producing that record. And as far as the sessions, he produced the sessions. Really? He was the one that said everything, oh, we should do one more and blah, blah, blah. Are you okay? And do you want to do one more? And a lot. He was the one that would do all that, so it was a it was a great project. BB had all these uh, different singers that he was doing duets with. They would come in and sing live, <laughs> for the most part. You know, there was a couple that didn't actually come in live. I Cheryl didn't come in live; she was he came later. But yeah. you know, Billy Gibbons was there, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, it was just it was really it was that was session of the year. <laughs> <laughs> it really was it was so much fun. BB played live. He sang live. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. Uh, Nathaniel's one of the best engineers in the business. And, you know, Dean Parks is the best acoustic guitar player as far as I'm concerned. I, I can call anybody who can touch him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lee Scalar, he's one of the very, very best, you know.
2: He was also a guest of ours uh, recently on our podcast.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, he
2: was a great interview. He was a great guy.
1: Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's got great stories.
2: Well speaking of some of those guests that were on that project, you mentioned Sheryl Crow and Billy Gibbons and yeah. it was Glenn Fry and, and John Mayer and, and yeah. Mark Knopfler, Elton John Holland Oates and Van Morrison. It's a pretty stellar lineup. That's right. I, I wanted to ask you about some of the challenges musically with working with such a wide variety of, of A list players and singers.
1: Oh there was it was piece of cake. It was, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was because well, it's all blues and you know, yeah. we all know how to play, so yeah. I don't think we recorded it any one of them more than twice. Wow. It was either first take or second take.
2: (laughs) Well, they are pros, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and and then the guys, you know, the guys that guessed it um, might have re-sang their parts again later or something like that. Sure. But uh, as far as uh, playing the tracks and all that kind of stuff, it all happened very quickly.
3: Well, when Lee w- was on our show, on the podcast, he basically explained that uh, this type of a gig with players all in one place, that it really doesn't happen too often. It's And when it does, it's like a golden thing because, yeah. uh, you know, either you're in recording separately at different times or different yep. parts of the country. And I mean, do you feel the same way? This was a golden opportunity to have some fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the reasons that will make me go play with somebody else is if it's a tracking date. Yeah. You know, if it's just overdubs, it's like, uh, yeah. you know, that's kind of more of a... It's just not the same thing. When when you're tracking out, you, you know, they're old friends that you're playing with. And, I mean, these guys, you know, we've, we've played together since, i played with those guys since, like, 1980. Jeez. You know, that's a long time.
3: You know, on that project, maybe the last question on that one is, uh, you know, when it came down to the improvisational uh, boundaries of recording, uh, mm-hmm. who basically, I mean, the, the rhythm section was pretty straight up and the solos were to the stars. Is that how it happened?
1: Yep, that's right. Uh I mean, we didn't play any solos. They were always the guests.
3: Yeah.
1: Or BB. 80 years old. 80, that's right. And man, is he sounding great.
2: I saw him perform a few years ago at a jazz festival here in Indianapolis, and he was just amazing. You know, at the time, I don't know how old he was, he was nearing 80, and I just Uh couldn't believe the energy. He he performed, (laughs) and then the very next night, Aretha Franklin performed. And it's just. I was in heaven. I saw two of the most stellar performers I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, and they're just, you know, just even with their age, they're still amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, yeah. Oh, Aretha Franklin. Great. First uh, session I ever did for Aretha Martin was for Aretha Franklin. Oh, really? And uh, it was a song. I was overdubbing, actually. Um, acoustic Piano. He, it was a song he had cut with, I think, three other guys, I guess, three other piano players whatever. You know, that's a, half the time that's how you get in the doors. They haven't got their piano part right yet (laughs) they try you out and if they like what you did well then you're in right Uh so uh, I went over there and and I was all I was really nervous because it was Arif Martin and all that Jeremy Smith was the engineer and they had this piano there and Arif brings a score over to the piano not a piano part but the score (laughs) and his writing I mean he wrote horrible you know a fantastic uh, writer but he was the dirtiest writer just couldn't read anything he wrote (laughs) So uh, I sat there and just was sweating and looking at it closely and figuring it all out. And then we did, and we got the song. I think it was called uh, Starlight, Starbright, or something like that. uh And I did that song, and he says, well, while you're here, come in in the control room and put this bass on this other song. And so I went in there and put a mini-move bass on this other song, this Hold On, I'm Coming. She did a version of that. Uh And I did all of his arrangements and all of his playing for, like, the next 10 years. Wow. You know, we just became we became best friends.
2: All it took was that one gig.
1: Yeah, pretty much. But well, that
2: was your foot in the door, and, and yeah, that was,
1: yeah. And, and then you just you know got to keep doing a good thing, and and that's it. And you know, a reef just died recently. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very sad. We actually dedicated. A, I just finished producing a Bet the Christmas record, and uh, we dedicated the record to him. Did you really? Yeah, he arranged one song for us. It was his last arrangement for Outside Source. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah.
3: You just mentioned that you just finished a Christmas album, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm a
3: sucker for Christmas. I mean, I just – I'll buy Christmas albums until, you know, <laughs> the cows come home. Well, I do, you I give I do... me your
1: address and I'll send you a copy. <laughs> it, it really came out great. I'm very proud of it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, really... it's
1: really a good – she's singing so great. Yes, she. And we have uh, really great arrangements from a lot of great uh, arrangers and – great playing. It's just, a, it's just a great record. It's very, very fun.
3: Well, this was a big production. I mean, you actually had tons of musicians in a in the big rooms, right? In Capitol Studios. Yeah. How uh, did you know that? Well, just we, we try to do our homework on this type of stuff. And it was a big project. Wouldn't you consider that when, in the scope of musicians?
0: Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah. yeah. We had about, I don't know, 50 or 55 players in there. Yeah. You know, 60. I don't know.
0: Somewhere wow. up, It was
1: way up there. And there. I mean, we had the rhythm section, horns, Winds and strings all at once. We had everything all at once.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. Who was
3: orchestrating? Did you orchestrate or who did the... I did,
1: I did a couple of them, um, but um, Arif did one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Williams did three. Oh, Bill Ross did two. Hmm. I did one with Bill and he did one in on his own. Yeah. Oh, Jonathan Tunick, you know who that is? I've heard the name. Oh, he's fantastic. Is he? He's an awesome arranger. He's more legit. But this guy is he he's known for like making fifteen pieces sound like thirty. <laughs> you know, God. he's just got that thing where every single part really, mm. really means something special. Mm. Right. So he was one of the arrangers. He did a great job too.
3: You go back a long ways with uh, with Bat, don't you?
1: I go back I, so far that I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you.
3: Well, we're going to pull that out of you because I, <laughs> I think uh, we'll tell you how far back you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's see. That's our job. But uh, it goes all the way back to the the movie of The Rose, you know? That's correct. And uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, minor uh, acting uh, debut. A little bit, you know?
1: <laughs> what do you mean, minor?
3: <laughs> I thought it was pretty big. That was huge. <laughs> but you auditioned for the piano part and you got
1: it, man. That's right, oh, yeah. yeah, well, actually, the guys you know they brought in people in uh, groups of four or five or something like that, <laughs> and uh for the auditions for this thing, and this was back you know, when you know nobody knew my name from Adam, you know they and uh, we all we all auditioned, and uh they just liked the whole band, they hired all the guys that were in that four, <laughs> Danny Weese was the guitar player yeah. who was awesome guitar player, and uh Mark Leonard was the bass player. I was in a band with him on Warner Brothers. Uh after that we, we we signed to Warner Brothers uh under the name Maxis.
3: Yeah. Okay, that that was Maxis.
1: Yeah, okay. he was the bass player in that band.
3: Yeah, well Mike wasn't Mike Landau part of
2: that? Yeah, That's
1: of it? right. And I still were I just worked with Mike last week. Did you? Yeah. I still use him. He's great.
2: So after the Rose, you didn't feel the the call to become an actor?
1: (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. Do I have time to tell you this? Oh, sure. It probably takes about three minutes. That's okay. That's great. I probably acted three times in my life. That was the first time. Yeah. I was the only one that got a line. And the line is, but Rose, you always liked that, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm the leader of the band, so to speak. Uh, as far as that that stuff goes, she's always t- she tells me what's going, on and I tell the band. That's kind of how it is. How it's kind of set up.
3: <laughs> there was a hierarchy there. Yeah, right.
1: So, so uh, like Mark did all the endings and all that. But I was the leader of the band, like musically and all that. You see, the piano player is. So anyway, so so I'm walking behind her on the stage, and she goes, "Okay, we're going to cut this. We're going to cut this. We're going to cut this." And I go, "Oh, cool, Rose. You always like that one, right? Because we're going to cut it. You know, like I, I, I do sessions, so whenever we cut a track, you know, we go in there and we record the track, right? So." Director goes cut 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 cut. Oh, you're you're really upset. You're really upset. She's gonna cut your second. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. She's gonna cut my song. Right? I got it. Okay. Okay. Action. So we go running down there again. She goes, okay, we're gonna cut this, cut this, cut this. Cut this. Oh yeah, Rosine, that's fabulous. She always said like, Cut, 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 cut. <laughs> no, no, no. She's cutting your song. She's. Get- I know she's kinda, she's gonna record it, right? No, she's cutting it. She's cutting it out of the show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God. So she. <laughs> So I was so flustered because I'd probably been thinking for about it for about a week before that <laughs> the other way thinking oh my god I'm going to be under the camera and you know all this other stuff right <laughs> so anyway so uh, so the, okay so have you got it now yeah yeah I got it I got it I'm really sorry man I, I, I'm trying to think god how am I going to say that so, so the next one was like uh I was I was so flustered, and I went, oh, and then I said the F word. Oh God. right And he went, and he's looking at me, he's going, yeah, yeah, more of that, more of that, right? He's like trying to bring it out of me, right? Uh-huh. And I was like just looking right into the camera like a deer in headlights. <laughs> he goes, cut, cut, cut. <laughs> okay, let's just do it again. So I just did it. Oh, Rose! You always like that one or whatever I did. Some stupid version. You go, okay, that's a take. That was the end of it, man. It makes me nervous even telling the story.
3: <laughs> that never really got on the film, did it?
1: I think it is. It is really. Yeah, I
3: think that's it funny. is. <laughs> that's funny. That's my good. Oh my
1: god! So you're and
3: a thes- you're a thespian at heart, then?
1: Oh, definitely. yeah. <laughs> music is it. That's it.
3: You you've worked on so many. Albums and also significant albums that we just basically took around uh, three or four uh, selections here of and and, and uh, I mean these are albums that that I really appreciate because I remember them and they were significant to me. I could never put them down. But I'm going to name a few of these projects and and uh, and see if we can turn on a little memory there and, and see what uh, you can tell us about these projects. Okay? okay. First one is Joe Sample's Spellbound, which is a uh, I don't think I listened to anything else for around two three months. You know, tell us really? about that. Yeah. Well, uh, that project, uh, you, you played the keyboards on it, or some keyboards.
1: Yeah, I think I just played pads on it. Yeah? Yeah, because Joe always plays the roads and the sure. pianos. Okay. Always.
3: So when you say your pads, your textural stuff, and your, yeah, your background. Yeah, like you know, string sense. pads, and mm-hmm.
1: voice pads, and yeah. you know, just cool pads, and stuff like that. You know? yeah. As a matter of fact, the first big session I ever saw in my life, when I, I moved from Vancouver to L.A., right. my friend Carl Graves was being produced by John Flores, who's the guy that produced Grazing uh, in the Grass and all that stuff. Okay. And um, I remember that it was, this was at RCA Records on Sunset, mm-hmm. 363 Sunset. That was one of the big studios back then. And uh, Joe Sample was the piano player. He was playing Rhodes. Yeah. Ed Green was playing drums. Wilton Felder was playing bass. And <laughs> Wawa Watson was playing guitar. This is like 1974. And I saw Joe playing, and I couldn't believe I'd never seen a session before. I didn't even know how it went. Yeah. You know, I just come from Vancouver, you know, I was a, I was a classical and jazz player, you know, yeah. a really more of a fusion player, so I could play in almost anything I wanted, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just had no concept of a guy in a studio and, you know, what do they play? <laughs> and and hear him play so little, but play so perfectly, that was a, a big eye-opener for me. That was Joe. He, he just, he played very little and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, he played the chords, obviously. Sure. And he when he'd play a fill... It was right it was yeah. right on the money and every single note counts and I, and you know classically trained every single note counts exactly so that's uh that was a, a I learned a lot from him that one session
3: yeah I, I would agree with you after listening to a myriad of his projects that he's definitely a minimalist when it comes down to laying down solo lines or whatever I mean he's like less is more and if you do it the right way at the right time and you play it and and, and he he's just he's just wonderful his approach, you know all right next one is uh Shaka Khan's I feel for you.
0: Oh, that's yeah. the
3: perennial favorite for everybody a little bit. But you, you, you did keys on that,
0: did you?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't do all the keyboards on that yeah. song, but I did some of them. You know, I don't know a third of them or half of them or something.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, there's a song on there that I co-produced with Arif Martin. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Stronger Than Before.
0: Okay, I know that song.
1: And uh, it's it's a Burt Backrat Carol Sager song. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most fun productions I've ever been involved in. Hell oh, yeah! I don't really like co-producing with with people because you get too many different points of view, so it becomes difficult. Yeah. But that particular song, I mean, and working with reef is just like, was always, you know, we were like brothers in there. Mm-hmm. You know, we always had the same idea, you know, oh, he says, why don't you do something like this here? And I go, yeah, oh, well, how about this then? He goes, yes, just that, you know, and it just always went like that. It was just always like, you know, it's lickety split. Yeah. And uh, we did another song with her uh, for uh, a movie called White Knights, I think.
0: Oh, right? yeah, yeah.
1: All right, and that was called, um, on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I produced the track in L.A., sent him the 24-track. The he did Shaka in New York. Wow. Sent it back, and we mixed it in L.A.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And uh, this is, of course, the days of 24-track. Right. And FedEx. Yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> now you can just uh, ISD end lines, and you're you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, we don't even
1: bother with ISD end lines anymore. No, that's
3: true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let, let me talk. Let me bring somebody else up, Luis Miguel. Oh yeah, um, I've been a Luis Miguel fan for, for years. And yeah. uh, speaking Spanish and la, being Latino, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I had the first the twenty years, the twenty veinte años, and then also the thirty three. Um, oh, yeah. which is a, a wonderful album. Um, did you, did you work with Humberto
1: Gatica on that album? You know what? There was one album that he did. I I, I worked, I think, on every Luis R- uh, Miguel mm-hmm, record since
0: mm-hmm.
1: since then, except for maybe. I think he did a Bolero record or something with uh, Manzanero. Yeah, and I don't think I worked on that one. I think maybe Manzanero played on it or something. I don't know. Okay. I don't remember. But um, most rec- As a matter of fact, I just finished playing on his next record.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: It just uh, I just I did it because it was tracking. Wow. He he, he, he did a Christmas record. Did he really? And so yeah, and it was just playing. Uh, what's his name? Um, Juan Carlos Calderon. Yes. Is um, did all the arrangements? You know, Luis is uh, producing it, I guess, and. Francisco Loyal. Um anyway, he's there. He he's he seems to me like he's kinda co producing it all the time. Yeah. Uh he he knows what's going on and all that. Mm-hmm. So uh but that was a lot of fun. It was very really nice. It was JR, uh, J. R. uh and myself and uh Abel Boreal. Yeah. And Paul Jackson and George Deering. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a fun couple of days just with really cool chords. You know, Juan uh, Carlos loves good chords, so. Yeah.
3: He writes as many as he can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just beautiful. I mean, what a wonderful style that Luis has, but Juan Carlos really knows how to arrange stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Neat. Hey, Robbie, I'm a big fan
2: of of Randy Newman. He's been I've, – I've mentioned that many times before for the listeners yeah. of our podcast. I know I'm a Randy Newman fan, and, and yeah. I understand you worked uh, with Randy on Faust. Yeah. Is that correct? Do you, do That's you have any, right. Any memorable recollections uh, about uh, about that album, working with Randy?
1: Faust, uh, a lot of the stuff I played would have been, like, roads and pads, but then there was a couple of tracks that I played piano with an orchestra. Mm-hmm. It was probably the scariest gig I've ever done in my life.
2: Why is that? Why is that? Yeah. Oh,
1: my God. I swore I'd never do that again. I'm not, like, a reader like Randy Kerber. You know, Randy Kerber's, like, a great reader. Mm-hmm. I can read, I'm, but I, I'm not, like, a... I can't read, like, you know, fly shit on a wall at 10 feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? But... <laughs> uh, this guy, Randy Newman, is an awesome piano player, but he has no technique.
2: <laughs> really?
1: So he plays so...
2: Just how he feels, right?
1: Yeah, he plays how he feels, and and he's limited because he has no technique. Uh-huh. But he, his parts are ridiculous. They're uh-huh. the most amazing parts you'll ever see. And when they're written down, they're written correctly. There is no sloppy in that, right? Oh, really? So here I am. I'm up in Canada. I'm on a ski trip with my all my best friends. We 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 rent this house every week for a year, uh, up in a up on a mountain up in the middle of B.C. Uh-huh. And uh, Peter Asher gives me a call. He says, "Oh, Robbie, you've got to come down and play this thing." I used to do all the Peter Asher's uh, stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you have to play in this are The only guy that can do this and that. Randy's going to conduct it. And he doesn't want to play. Cause it's, it's, it's too hard, and I'm thinking, oh, what do you mean it's too hard? I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, that's okay. I can, I'm sure, no problem. <laughs> so I said, well, just okay, yeah. Can you send me the charts ahead of time so I can at least look, look them over? Cause if I look them over, they'll be fine. Yeah. I just don't want to like show up there with sixty or seventy or eighty pieces or whatever it is, <laughs> and and uh, I'll go, oh my god, uh, that is the terror of making of doing movie music. It's ninety nine percent boredom and one percent terror. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn 't get them to me I had to leave the next day and he, uh, to get there they they were flying me down from the from the ski hill and I uh, was supposed to have the charts uh to me before I left okay. they didn 't get there, so I had to fly all the way back waste all that time getting there doing you know thinking about oh my god yeah. um, i get to I get to uh, San Francisco this big ass limousine picks me up. these guys got the charts right so i 'm uh-huh. looking at the charts i 'm going, "Whoa, this is intense." <laughs> no problem the date's not till tomorrow I'll just get there and I'll uh, I'll shed on a I'll shed on a keyboard when I when I get to the, the it's at Skywalker Ranch at the Skywalker Ranch I can't access a piano oh no oh my god <laughs> there's no piano I can access I said, there must be a piano I can't get in the studio no you can't get in the studio it was like cause I, I I guess I got in at like 3 in the morning or something and, and everybody was gone it was all locked up and nobody would the fire department there won't allow it to be opened or whatever <laughs> wow. So I couldn't access the piano, but there was this old antique upright piano that's there just for looks in a hallway
0: uh-huh
1: so I sat down on it, and i you know I would say about every sixth note didn't work, like didn't play at all, and then you know the other ones were you know some of them were tuned down a half tone uh-huh. and exactly it was just it's oh, like a it was horrible it was
3: like a ragtime piano in the hallway yeah it, oh, it was
1: way worse than a ragtime <laughs> piano literally about every sixth note didn't play you know, it was just had all kinds of missing hammers in it.
3: So how'd you make it through? Or Barely. Did you? Barely. Barely? My
1: friend uh, Frank Wolf was recording it, uh, who's an excellent engineer. Uh, he, by the way, recorded the tracks on Bette Midler. Oh, okay. Guy is good. He's mm-hmm. hot. Anyway, uh, he was recording it, and they were doing it to 48 tracks, so, and they had done a bunch of passes. So luckily, he comped my piano. <laughs> oh, it, was, it, was, it was horrible. Holy cow. I was just sweating.
0: <laughs>
3: are, are you insinuating that Randy Newman writes more complex piano arrangements than he can play
1: <laughs> well it, but it comes from his hands It's one thing when it comes from your hands you know, exactly. I mean I write I play complex parts too that right. other people have a hard time playing, but that's a lot of times it's just because it's the way I play, yeah, and it's not complicated for me because that's just the way I play,
3: yeah yeah let's talk about uh your your studios right now you're in Vancouver yeah and you have two studios one in uh LA and, the, of course the other one in uh where where you are right now yeah that's and, right and we're
1: just uh we're finishing uh, uh i've have actually just kind of upgraded it to be a, more of a like a serious studio it's not just a room with Pro tools in it like gotcha. it's got like the triple walls with the with uh and everything in it right uh-huh so we're just uh, we're three quarters of the way through it now.
3: Which came first, the L.A. studio or uh, Vancouver?
1: Oh yeah, L- L.A. one. I'm, I just sold my house there last year. Did you? Uh, I always had a serious studio in L.A. Mm-hmm. and um, uh, I just I rent a house there now, and you know the living room is the studio. Right. So, uh, but, but up here I've got you know two rooms, and they're all you know double walled and very thick and mm-hmm. heavy, and mm-hmm. we're putting them uh, all the moldings, the, uh, the trim, and all that up. Mm-hmm. right now and then it's going to have those all the baffles put up you know on the walls
2: so when you record vocals or record anything in your studio do you engineer yourself or do you at times or do you bring in engineers that you prefer to work with
1: um either or i usually use uh, i usually use chandler bridges mm-hmm. uh who's an excellent engineer and i i prefer to have him just because i don't have to do it <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: you know and uh, he he always ensures that you know because he's thinking more about what the recording is rather than what they're singing, and I'm thinking more about what they're singing. But I can, you know, I certainly do it, you know, if the budget is low, I have to do it. Mm
2: Mm-hmm you know we've asked other uh, some of our other guests this in the past but you know you've been in the in the business for a long time and and you've seen a lot of the changes in especially like i was saying in LA for example and you know lee Sklar was telling us that you know it used to be where guys would get together and you'd have that that vibe in the room of having all the players there and everybody performing together and he says now basically you know, you're, you're taking his bass into somebody's bedroom and plugging into Pro Tools and laying down some tracks.
0: Yep.
1: And he said
2: not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just right. the way the business has turned. And that's right. Are there any other kinds of changes you've seen in the music industry uh, it, pertaining to what you do that have, that have really changed in the past 20 or 30 years, especially with, with all the technology that's available?
0: Right. Oh, well,
1: I mean, as Lee said, I mean, we used to do everything together in a room. Mm-hmm. It, and, and that doesn't happen very much anymore. But So when it does happen, it's a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, musicians just freak out when there's a tracking date. They're just like <laughs> so happy.
0: Uh huh.
1: You know, we used to do tracking dates, you know, four out of five days a week. When I started doing sessions, I did way more tracking dates than I did overdubs. Right. Mm-hmm. Way more.
3: Mm-hmm. What would be the breakdown? What's the percentage? Of, do you do 50% of, of programming as opposed to the the to tracking and so
1: forth? Uh, oh. How would it pay no, more? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I mean you know it really depends on the kind of music you're doing. When I, if I'm working with BET, you know, I try to do a lot of things live, but mm-hmm. you know, some of the tracks they need that sound. I mean, that's a it's a great sound having a programmed track. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a different thing. It's not like live is better.
0: Right. Live
1: is better for what live is when you want a live sound, but live sucks when you want to have that kind of cool track. Mm-hmm that's not done live, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. How do you, how
3: do you explain that? Yeah, it's it's I almost see it almost more like pop music, you know, I mean, and, and I love pop, you know. Yeah. Pop music, I mean, if you recorded pop music live, it'd be thin as a, a pretzel, you know. Uh, but there's there's some pop sounds that, that really require that depth and that real robustness, you know. And, yeah, and the uh,
1: perfection. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It's got to you know? be tight, you know.
1: Yeah, that's right.
3: Um, I was just listening to uh, an album, and of course, uh, you're, you're probably very much aware, um that, uh, you know, there's so many number one hits that are coming out in the scene right now, and, and people are literally recording, singing, tracking everything in, in their home studios. Um, sure. there's a talent, uh, his name's, uh, Daniel Bedingfield. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's Natasha Bedingfield's brother. Okay. And uh he's got an incredible uh pop album out and and uh it's he did it everything in his room I guess in Australia somewhere and and uh and that thing just climbed to number 1 in in, in England, you know, it's been there for a while and, and it's just incredible. What what's your take on now that let's say now that the digital era has hit everywhere and and many many people have access to producing sharp dynamic music? I mean, is this good for the industry, or is this overclocking the whole thing?
1: Well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think like you're really talking about Pro Tools because everything is recorded on Pro Tools. Yeah. I mean, there are people that use, you know, performers and that, but all those other things are right. toys compared, comparatively speaking.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Just, uh, just we're, we're recording your podcast on Pro Tools.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
2: right,
3: good. Good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm more addressing, you know, the, the volume of, of people that really have access to the quasi studio now in their home, and they can actually, you know, produce some very high quality work.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it just then that raises the bar mm-hmm. in that way. Uh, it lowered it lowered the bar like when sequencers came in it lowered the bar as far as because that's part of the digital production scene is that yeah. they have sequencers. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have to have me necessarily come in to play a part or you know, or Kerber or whatever. Sure. You know, or you know, Randy Wallman. You could sit there and plunk away and re you know, oh change the velocity on that note and move that note twenty milliseconds to the right and yeah. You could do all that, so you could make your own little perfect performance, and it might take you a day to do a piano part, but mm-hmm. at least you got it done, and you got it done exactly the way you wanted, so right. if you've got good taste, right. you probably have a really good piano part. Yeah. Right? Exactly. When drum machines came in, yeah, it yeah. weeded out all the good drummers, <laughs> and only the great ones were left.
3: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Roger Lynn, huh?
1: Yeah, when that <laughs> Roger Lynn came in, man, I, I there were I, there used to be a lot of drummers that I worked with that I really didn't like working with. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when that drum machine happened, only the guys I liked working with were the ones that were working. Mm-hmm. Well, so that was fantastic. I like that. I mean, you know it's, it all has its place. Pro Tools has made recording so much better as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, you have no excuse to not get a great vocal now. <laughs> right?
3: If you can't get a good vocal, something's wrong.
1: Yeah, you can even get a good vocal from me. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Well, I agree. I agree with you on that. I, I, I've been a Pro Tools user for about 12 years now and, yeah. and uh, you know, before that I was recording analog and, and I tell everyone that I'm actually uh, thankful that I learned recording techniques uh, with tape because uh, I still every day, you know, to this day, 12 or 13 years later, I can look back and say, man, what would I have done without this, without Pro Tools? You know, I could not have done what I'm doing right now on tape. That's right. And if you're into a long, you know, a long, uh, laborious project and you have a change that has to happen in the middle, you don't have to retract. You simply go in and cut and paste.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just. I mean, what you can do, it's endless, the difference. It's mm-hmm. just endless, you
3: know. This one project that I've, uh, I've had in my mind and I wanted to talk to you about that, uh, it's a contemporary Christian um, artist named Russ Taff. Oh, and yeah. And years ago, he did a landmark album that I, uh, basically was, I think it changed the whole approach to CCM music, but it was called Metals, and you, you played with him on that album extensively. And I remember just reading the liner notes just voraciously. But, uh, do you recall that project, working on the Metals album? That, I sure that was a do. long, 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 long time ago.
1: I remember that quite well, actually. Jack Quigg was a producer.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: Well, you know what Jack Quigg is, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean he's hot.
3: He's he's one of the top there. But there, there was a whole lineup of. I think Neil Steubenhouse even uh, may have worked on that album too. But I just wanted to. Yeah, he did. That that was probably one of the the first uh, albums that actually I was sort of introduced to your work, and I, I just really admired it way back then. And I think back then you were working on a, a Poly Moog or the Prophets back then. But yeah, you know. yeah. that's right. <laughs> but, yeah, we had
1: all that kind of stuff and. It was all done live and, mm-hmm. and that we would work on a song for hours and get a vibe going. Yeah, Jack Pligg is kind of a little bit from the school of Brown Bannister who does mm-hmm. that, too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And
1: uh, great. I mean, it's a great way to do it, you know, yep. if, you, if you can afford it. But when you hire studio musicians, you, it's hard to afford that anymore. Sure. To take six hours to cut a song, you know. Mm-hmm. People don't do that anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to go back to the early years real quick. And, and I want to ask you about your first gig as a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> Tell me about that. What was it like doing gigs at 12 years old?
1: Oh, well, uh, it, it introduced me to a world of sin. <laughs> <laughs> sin, sin, sin. No, I tell you when I was when I was tw- it was up in Dawson City in the Yukon Territories. I auditioned for it the Klondike Days in Dawson City in the Yukon, which is the gold rush days, right? Okay. And they celebrate it every summer and they have a play in this uh reproduction of a an old 1890s Stage, <laughs> I was the piano player, which is the the music for the play. It's like a vaudevillean kind of play. Sure, I guess it was kind of catchy because I was twelve. Uh, you know that was the that was the attraction for hiring a twelve year old because <laughs> it would expect a guy you know a, a grown up.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And then it, it alternated nights with a gambling uh, thing on a grounded steamboat. And they would do a gay nineties routine. You know, where the girls come like eight girls come out and they're all kicking and right, eating, right. you know, doing that nice and playing <laughs> like, that dun 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 you know that song. And uh I was up there on my own, my mom brought me up and then she left and I was up there in my own, I was staying with a family and I started hanging out with these Indian guys. Uh-huh. Like Indian like Indian-like, Canadian Indians. Right. And this one guy, Jimmy Drugan. Uh well he taught me how to get drunk. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So he, he went to the liquor store and got me uh a, a, you know a mickey of rye whiskey and to this day I can't drink rye whiskey. <laughs> From that. I you know puked my guts out several times. Uh, on several different nights.
3: Thank you, Jimmy.
1: Yeah, he, I started smoking regularly, started drinking coffee up there. My first kind of serious girlfriend was there and Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> so you're right. It did lead you into a life of sin. Yeah, that's right. It took me
1: years to to, uh, to get better. <laughs> Too, it took
3: you years to come to the repent. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's
1: right. But it was good fun. It was great fun. <laughs> oh, that's neat.
3: Hey, I want to ask about one key person that's really been very key in, in your life. It was uh, one of the first uh, instructors that you had, your classical teachers. Oh, because yeah. Because you actually studied classical from, from a very early age, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, Ed Parker, Edward Parker is yeah. my, uh, was my class. Classical teacher. He, believe it or not, he still is. Really? Yeah, I've, I've gone back to classical over this last year, and I can't. I haven't found time to practice much, but I'm still. I'm trying. He's giving me some really hard pieces to learn. Yeah. Um. But he's yeah he's still around and he's still a fantastic. He's the best teacher in Vancouver. Really? He's just an amazing teacher. Yeah. His his son is a is a world class uh, classical player, and his nephews, both of his nephews are, uh, John Kamara Parker and Jamie Parker. Right. And they're they're world class uh, piano players, and uh, Ian uh, Parker is a fabulous player. Um, you'll hear about them I mean, if you look do any looking online. They're they're all in the top, and he's he's trained them all. Really, he's really an amazing. He taught Tom Baird. Uh, yeah. Really? I don't know if you remember him. He he died when he was about forty, but he Tom Baird was a fabulous piano player, and he you know he moved to L.A. became a session player, and then became a producer. And, he produced rare earth, so I, I still, I mean, I have every every respect in the world for Edward Parker. I think he is the best thing that ever happened to me musically, for sure.
0: Well, you actually
3: returned to him a few times. Uh, after a while, I, I, I read in, in your on your website that you actually uh, sort of fell away, went to the pop scene, and lost your chops a little bit. You actually went back for retuning. huh? That's right. That's exactly what I'm doing now. That's what
1: I uh, do for uh, to keep myself in shape. Now is to do that. Really, I can I mean, go into a session and do whatever I want.
3: That sort of that may sound strange to maybe some of our listeners that a guy that's proficient and in you know long lasting in the industry as you, but when you go back, you know, do you go back because you're challenging yourself or because you just – you need to play more? You need to get the finger – why would you go back to, to you know, Ed Parker? You follow me?
1: I've had uh, – taken lessons from other people that mm-hmm. I didn't think even come close to compare to him. Interesting. Yeah, we go back a long way. Well, that's neat. <laughs>
2: well, what's new for Robbie Buchanan in the near future? Do you have any significant projects that are heading your way or, or exciting?
1: Uh, well, I've been um, I've been playing over the last year. I've been I've been playing for a friend of mine, Rudy Perez. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's producing a band called Los Temerarios. I've heard
3: of some other stuff.
1: Yeah, th- this is different than anything that they've done. But uh, Rudy's writing all, a lot of the stuff with them, and they're writing some of it themselves. And uh, it's nothing but fun. These guys, Adolfo uh, Angel and uh, and his brother, are just fantastic people. they they are Los Temerarios.
3: Isn't it sort of a quasi a Tejano band and banda type of dance rhythms?
1: Well, I think they used to be. They're not yeah? like that at all. But no. I think they, yeah, they did used to be like that. Yeah, okay. So they're. I think they're doing something else now.
3: Interesting. That's cool.
1: Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. I go down to Miami and just stay there for like you know a week or so and play a bunch and take some time off and eat a lot of food. <laughs> and it's a good hang.
3: <laughs> That's cool. Hey, Robbie, thank you so much for spending time with us. All right. We appreciate that an awful lot, okay?
1: All right. Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks again. You take take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye special
2: thanks to robbie buchanan for joining us on this episode of inside music cast our goal is to bring you a new podcast once every other week so be sure to check your podcast downloads for the next episode of inside music cast if you have a question or a suggestion for the show please drop us an email at input at inside music that's input at inside music with one c for eddie cabello i'm rick such Stay subscribed to Inside Music Cast, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the
1: music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at
0: InsideMusicCast.com.